evidence and answers. More Muslims are getting the revelation that the Quran is a man-made book. This is an interesting and insightful statement regarding Islam. There's no question that it will continue to be the growing issue for America, Christians, and the freedom of thought and rationality. A new Pew Research Center study that looks at the future of world religions and potential population growth around the globe found that the Muslim faith is rising at a faster rate than Christianity, with the possibility that Islam could equal Christianity as the largest world religion for the first time ever. However, with this information, will there be an Islamic implosion? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's episode of Evidence and Answers, we will address this very topic of Islam and learn what this talk about an implosion is all about. Now with part one of this fascinating interview is Pat Zukran, along with his special guest, Dr. Daniel Janosik of the Southern Evangelical Seminary. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and eternal answers to challenges of our time. Well, today we're talking about Islam. It is considered one of the fastest growing religions in the world today. It is quickly overturning the demographic makeup of Europe, and many believe that it will soon take over Christianity as the largest religion in the world. However, there are some experts who believe there is a coming implosion in the Islamic world. New research that poses serious challenges to Islam is being recognized and studied and could lead to an implosion in the Islamic world. Oh, here to talk about this issue is Dr. Daniel Janosik. He is the Director of Islamic Studies and an Associate Professor of Apologetics at Southern Evangelical Seminary there in Charlotte, North Carolina. He has a Master's in Muslim Studies from Columbia International University and a doctorate in Historical Theology from London School of Theology. In fact, his dissertation was on St. John of Damascus, the first apologist to the Muslims. So we're privileged to have him. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. It's good to be with you all. Well, tell us just briefly a little bit about your dissertation here on St. John of Damascus, the first apologist to the Muslims. Well, John was a very important figure in the first 100 years of Islam. He grew up within the caliphate of the Umayyad Empire, and he worked as the chief financial officer for some of the most powerful caliphs at that time. Abdul Malik was one. John lived from 675 to 750, so he was in the thick of things as these developments that we're going to talk about came about. So he was a Christian, an Orthodox Christian, who was very devout, very sharp. He retired and went off to the monastery and wrote uh, a number of treatises, wrote theology that is still being used by the Orthodox Church today, and he wrote two treatises against Islam, one called The Heresy of the Ishmaelites and one called The Disputation Between a Saracen and a Christian. He wrote about Muhammad in the early 700s. He was writing, 740 was uh, this particular treatise, so he gives us a pretty accurate picture of what was known at that time, and what was known was very different from what the traditional view gives us, the traditional view that we get from Islam. And so hopefully some of that will come out as we go through with some of this material. 
wanted people to understand you did some work on the early years of Islam, which is going to be very valuable. Well, Daniel, in a recent Zionica.com article, you stated, Islam is on the brink of both a physical and academic implosion. Well, briefly tell us, what do you mean by that statement and why do you see an implosion coming in Islam? Well, actually, I see six different areas where a possible implosion could take place. One would be intellectually. Why has there been a closing of the Muslim mind? We'll talk about that some. Secondly, demographically, why is Islam committing demographic suicide? This is a big issue, and this is contrary to what is put out there in the press that Islam is growing. Well, there is very good evidence that Islam is not growing demographically or religiously. Thirdly, theologically, what would happen if Muslims begin to realize that the Quran was written by men and not God, if it is a man-made document and Islam is a man-made religion, and that would cause a lot of people to really rethink their position. Fourthly, militarily, I see an implosion. Why do jihadis love death more than life? And you have the struggle between the Sunnis and the, and the Shias that have, has been around for 1,400 years, and it's really picking up steam in a number of ways. Fifthly, culturally, there's an implosion. Why... 7th uh, century Arab culture. Why can 7th century Arab culture not compete with the allure of modernity? A lot of people are turning away from Islam because it is caught, stuck in the 7th century. And then finally, spiritually, why are so many Muslims turning to Christ? And this is one of the exciting things that I hope we get to before we end uh, this interview. Well, fantastic. Well, let's take a look at the academic implosion here. Daniel, you state that a lot of Muslims are beginning to question the divine inspiration of the Quran. Well, first explain to us how Muslims view the Quran. Well, they are beginning to realize that the Quran could not be the perfect word of Allah, written from eternity past for all eternity, present and future. I'll explain that and break that down a little bit. First of all, Muslims believe that the Quran was delivered to Muhammad orally by the angel Gabriel when he was meditating in a cave outside of Mecca. But Muhammad could not read or write. He was illiterate, as most people were in that time. In fact, Arabic as a written language was really not established. It was still in an experimental form. So that's something we'll talk about a little bit later, because it'll come up uh, in other ways. So there we have uh, Muhammad, and he's supposed to be in this cave, and he gets this revelation from an angel the angel Gabriel, who tells him to recite. He doesn't know what to recite. He doesn't know what to read, because he can't read, and so he's scared to, to death of what's going on with, uh, of this experience. But this is the first experience, and finally Gabriel gets him to, to listen, and Gabriel gives him some lines to memorize, and that is the beginning of the Quran according to the Muslims. And so for the next 23 years, he has these revelations some conversations with Gabriel, sometimes he's in a trance, sometimes he just has an idea of you, and this is supposedly transmitted to his followers. They memorize the Quran, then supposedly it's written down on scraps of wood and bones and palm branches. Sometimes they even have some parchment, but mostly it's memorized. 
And then after Muhammad dies and they have the different battles, one of the early caliphs, the leaders, recognizes that uh, some of the men who memorized certain portions of the Quran were being killed. And so they needed to put it down in writing fully. And so that was supposedly the time of uh, Uthman, the third caliph, and 20 years after Muhammad's death. And that's when they supposedly transmitted it into a complete manuscript. And then that manuscript was copied into four, sent to the different areas. And those are supposedly the originals. And two of those, they say, are still around. We'll talk about that later. And then they believe, Muslims believe, that all the Quran, all the Arabic Qurans that we have today are exact replicas of that particular Quran. So they see this as a transmission that was directly from Allah, and it was word for word given to Muhammad, and then he gave it to his followers. So there cannot be any change in the wording. If it is the direct word of God from all eternity, then it cannot be questioned or changed. And so they do not question it today. And they don't want to see any changes. But that's the problem. There are changes, and they have to try to give account for that. So that creates uh, quite a problem. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point. They actually revere the Quran as much as, I guess, they would revere the Prophet or Allah. So any criticism or attack on the Quran comes with a very strong reaction, doesn't it? Oh, it does. In fact, uh, you could say that they see the Quran, which is the word of Allah, in a very similar way that we see Jesus as the word of God. The living word would be the Quran. And so they hold it in uh, high esteem and they do not believe that it can be changed. Right. Well, what are some serious issues that are causing many to question the perfection and divine inspiration of the Quran? Hmm, good question. I think that there are several. One that we may explore a little bit more would be the dating. Earliest copies of the Quran seem to be much later than Muhammad's time. I mentioned two of the four original copies that some, uh, well, many Muslims believe are still around. That would be the Top copy and the Samarkand. And they believe that these are held in museums. And these in Uzbekistan, I think, is one, and one would be in Russia or Istanbul. And they're supposed to be dated to, well, what would that be? 650, 20 years after Muhammad's death, which was 632. But instead, they're dated to the late 8th century, almost 170 years after the time that they were supposed to be written. And these are the earliest, and they are not even complete Qurans. They're missing a lot of pages, and they're, they have a different order. And there are other fragments that they have, but we'll get into that. So you have the the dating problems. You have, secondly, much of the content of the Quran seems to have come from other sources, some sources such as Christian liturgy from uh, Syriac, Jewish midrash, which was uh, kind of a commentary of the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th century A.D., You have local poetry, perhaps, compiled and put into the Quran. A number of different documents seem to have been pulled together, and the question comes up, why? Why isn't there a real organization? Why is there just this mishmash of different narratives, different stories? So that's something that they're starting to question, because 
outsiders, non-Muslims, have been looking at this and coming up with very good evidence as to the inclusion of these particular stories. Also, earliest texts show a lot of differences and corrections. In fact, I've got a number of friends who have just recently completed their dissertations and put out books showing these corrections in the Quran, the earliest of the Qurans, which goes against this whole idea that the Quran was perfectly transmitted to Muhammad. And so these are bringing up questions within the minds of academics who are Muslims. And then lastly, even it itself, written Arabic, as I said, was not really ready to take on something like the Quran. It was in an experimental form. Spoken Arabic was has been around for a long time, thousands of years. But written Arabic was not something that was utilized at that time until really with the Quran. So the dating of the Quran is very important because that was the origination of the formal Arabic language, written language. So in your studies, what do you think is the date of the Quran that we have now, the earliest? I think that I mentioned the Samarkand and the Topkapi, but there are earlier fragments that have been found. In 1972, there were some real early fragments found up in the attic of a, uh, one of the oldest mosques in Sana, Yemen. And a team of German philologists and linguists went down to study these particular fragments. They were all mashed together. They were uh, soggy. They were very difficult to pull apart. But they found within these fragments what may be the earliest fragments of Quranic-type manuscripts. They date some of them as early as 710 A.D. So this is still, what would that be, 80 years after the death of Muhammad. And interestingly enough, some of them may be dated before Muhammad, which means that they were not, of course, written by Muhammad in any way, but they represent a different source. And that's where the Christian liturgy and the Jewish targums and the other stories comes into play. And that really distorts the whole traditional view of Islam. Wow. You know, you're mentioning that there's a lot of research being done now in the area of text criticism of the Quran. And what we mean by textual criticism is the studying of the most ancient manuscripts of the Quran. And what are some other things that we're learning? Is the Quran perfectly preserved as Islamic theology teaches? Well, no. <laughs> For a, a quick answer there, what we're finding is that the Quran seems to have gone through a number of stages, a number of corrections. In fact, also with these manuscripts at Sana'a, they're finding a number of what are called palimpsests. These are documents that have been written on, and then because parchment was so expensive, the writing was scraped off and then used again. So there was writing on top of it. Well, under certain ultraviolet light, they can see what was the original document, and these were originally a certain form of the Quran, Quranic writing, and then it was changed, scraped away, and written over. And so between those earlier writings and the later ones, there are differences. And even with the later ones, there are a lot of corrections, erasures, parts that have been scraped away and other things squeezed in, words changed, many words were changed. So that is bothersome to the Muslims who have come up 
with the idea that the Quran has always been perfect. And now here you have evidence in the early 700s, 80 to 100 years after Muhammad's death, that it was not even complete. In fact, scholars are saying that the Quran was not canonized, completed, finalized until the end of the 8th century. That's almost 180 to 200 years after Muhammad. Wow. Now, some people may be sitting out there going, uh, well, Daniel, where are you getting this research from? What are some sources that we can look at to verify what you're saying? There are a couple of good books that, uh, that have come out. One is a book by a um, professor, Keith Small, S-M-A-L-L, and he's written a book, Textual Criticism of the Quran, and he's one of my friends who has done the, the research, and he applied the same test that scholars have applied to the Old Testament and New Testament for the last 200 years, trying to debunk the New Testament and the Old Testament, but instead, because the New Testament manuscripts are very capable of being verified, and they have passed the test, they are doing the same thing now to the Quran and applying these same tests, textual critical tests of the, the language, of the, the writing methods, even the dating of the paper and everything like that. They're putting it through all these tests. The problem with the Quran is that it will not stand up to the tests as the New Testament has, and there are a number of reasons for that. In fact, as they are digging more and more, they're finding other problems. In fact, one of the, the most interesting ones for me is that they're finding that a lot of the sources of the Quran seem to be from earlier books. Not quite a plagiarism, but an Arabization. In other words, they have taken stories from Jewish commentaries and poetry and Greek legends and incorporated into the Quran and not always in, the, in a uh, systematic way. For example, in, there's a story of Cain and Abel. Of course, it's in the Old Testament, the Bible, but it's also in the Quran. But in the Quran, when Cain kills Abel, and so Adam is trying to find out where he is, in the story in the Quran, there is a crow that scratches the ground, revealing Abel's blood. And that's how Adam is able to find out where Abel is buried. Well, that story of the crow is in a Jewish story of the 3rd century A.D. It's not before that time. It came about in the 3rd century. It was added into part of the commentary. And that seems to be picked up by the Quran. Well, that's showing that it was not in the original. And, of course, Muslims would say, well, this is just a greater revelation. It's a correction from the authentic, the original Quran that is up in heaven. But that story is from the 3rd century. Just like another story of the seven sleepers in a cave, these Greek Christian uh, young men who were escaping persecution during the time of Diocletian in the, in the, at the end of the 3rd century. And so they go into this cave, seven of them with their dog, and they fall asleep, and they wake up, and it's a couple hundred years later, and they go out to buy food, and they find that everything's changed, and that they're no longer persecuted as Christians, and so it's a much different lifestyle out there. Well, that story was written in the 4th century A.D., and that is found in fragmented form in the Quran. So there are a number of these stories that just go against the whole idea that the Quran was a 
book from eternity past. It's a mishmash of a number of different stories, seemingly put together by someone or some people who wanted to have a religious book, but they didn't have really the revelation from Allah as the Muslim traditional view is, but instead they fabricated a collection of religious stories. And that is pretty condemning. One other thing, I mentioned the, the manuscripts from the Sana findings, and one person who was involved in that was Gerd Puin, P-U-I-N, and a, a German linguist. And he studied these, and he found that really as he put them in comparison to the Quran, he noticed that the Quran, and he's, he's very good at Arabic, he's a scholar in that field, but he, as well as others, have said that uh, about 20% of the Quran is somewhat in- unintelligible. It doesn't make sense. The phrases don't fit. They don't uh, seem to have context or, or meaning. And so he and another friend, Christoph Luxemburg, have looked at this. And Luxemburg is the one who took these, many of these unintelligible phrases and translated them back into Syriac. Syriac is a related language. It's consonantal, just like Arabic. Arabic and Hebrew are consonantal. The vowels were not in the original. So Luxembourg translated it back into Syriac and found that it made much more sense. In fact, his thesis is that much of the Quran was originally Syriac liturgy, Christian liturgy, that was transliterated into this early Arabic writing to form part of the new book, which became known as the Quran, a holy book for this new religion. And that is part of a bigger story of what happened during that time. Well, you know, Daniel, people who critique the Quran and do these kinds of studies are often persecuted or, you know, made to have you know, persecuted so they would keep silent. Is this kind of study and research now coming to the forefront in the popular culture? Are we becoming aware of this, or is this still being suppressed? Both. Uh, It's being suppressed, but it's also coming out, especially in nations like the United States. There are conferences where you have Christian scholars and Muslim scholars gathering together, and they talk about the Quran, they talk about this new research, and there are a number of Muslim scholars who are recognizing that they need to catch up because it, it is very condemning to what they believe in the traditional view. So these Muslim scholars feel like they have to either understand it better or come up with some kind of reason to counter what the Christian scholars are coming up with. So in the academic world, it is becoming pretty well known. In the popular world, because The Muslims, from the time that they start asking questions, they are told, don't ask any questions. Don't question the authority of the Quran. Just accept it. Memorize it and accept what it says or what your authorities, your imams, say about it. So they are taught not to question it, and that creates a lot of controversy within the Muslims. And I know my Muslim friends that I talk to here in the States they want to understand. They're, they're being trained to, to think differently, to think outside the box in their education here. And so they want to 
understand. And so as they begin to peel away the layers, some of them are realizing there are some real problems. In, in fact, it's interesting, one of the best Muslim apologists, a man named Shabir Ali, has recently uh, debated Jay Smith, who's one of the best Christian apologists in this area. And Shabir Ali and Jay Smith did a recent debate on the Quran and the new information on the Quran. And Jay Smith brought all this information up and was challenging Shabir Ali. And Shabir, rather than answering these questions or these points, merely went off on a tangent and started talking about the Quran code. In other words, certain numbers in the Quran that seem to come together and show that the Quran was a unique book that must have been sent down from Allah. Things like the number of 19, which is the sacred number for Muslims. Be sure to join us next time for the conclusion of Pat's interview with Dr. Daniel Janosik of the Southern Evangelical Seminary. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, click on the Donate button on our side of our homepage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you. Join us again next time on the air or online for more Evidence and Answers.